So I always tell people, it seems like a lot of times people are really impatient and they want to be the, you know, they think they want all this. And I'm just, just relax. You know, you'd be surprised how, how fast it happens, you know, just do well and take on responsibility and make things happen. And, and that sort of leadership stuff's just going to come your way. Small businesses are the backbone of the American economy and here in Michigan, but only 50% will make it five years in business. On Mitten Money, host William Zank will focus on helping Michigan-based business owners with the tough questions that will help them succeed. How do I expand my business? What options do I have for retirement? How do I move forward? Having worked with small business owners throughout his entire career and with excellent attention to detail and strong analytical skills, William Zank of TriStar Trust will unearth answers to these questions and more. You can subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. Good morning, good afternoon, and welcome to another episode of Mint Money. On today's show, we invite Kim Norris and Todd Hall on the podcast, who both work in senior leadership positions with Glassdender. We learn how Kim pivoted from a successful career in nursing to having now won multiple national awards for employee safety and promoting employee empowerment through conscious capitalism. And we also learn how Todd balances running a national company while also producing music and touring with a number of rock bands. So welcome, Kim and Todd, to Mint Money. Thank you, Will. It's nice to be on your podcast. Yes, thank you. Well, thank you guys for taking some time out of this beautiful morning that we have. For those of you guys who are listening in, it's a beautiful June morning. So I appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to spend it with our listeners. And so you guys mind telling us a little bit about your background from what I mentioned in the introduction? It sounds like you both have had some pretty interesting careers up until this point. I don't know how interesting it has been, but Mine was just more or less an unexpected pivot. And I went to nursing school at Saginaw Valley and graduated with both my undergrad and my master's degree in nursing from SVSU and thought I would have a long career in healthcare. But somewhere along the line, that changed. And to be honest with you, it's hard to even remember the exact conversation or what happened that spurred that move. I know that. My father had a business partner, Jay Kegerice, who was diagnosed with a aggressive brain tumor. And I was concerned and wanted to come in and help out. And so somewhere along the line that just happened. And I was going to come for a year or two and just help out while Jay was going through his treatment. And, and then I just never left. So the to-do list once I got here was so huge that I don't like to leave things undone. And I guess that's why I'm here almost 25 years later. So <laughs> I'm hoping maybe you enjoyed it a little bit and that's why you stayed. But <laughs> Oh yeah. Well, of course, <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a lot of overlap in nursing and caring for people and working in human resources. I use my nursing skills all the time. And like I said, it's very applicable in many ways. Yeah. I think for me as a family business, we're kind of what I would call an old school family business where all the kids worked in the family business when they were younger. Nowadays, that seems like it doesn't happen as much, maybe, or it doesn't seem to happen for us. So, I mean, I started here when I was 14 years old, working part-time, you know, making chemical pumps for glass washers and worked here part-time throughout high school and college and kind of more full-time in summers. And frankly, back then, as a young kid, you know, I have a daughter who just graduated high school and I'm trying to go back and imagine like, okay, what was it like then? And did I really know what I wanted to do with my life? And I really didn't, you know, at the time I was into music really hard, thought I was going to 
try to you know grab that rock star golden ring or whatever and go for that but at the same time i was always a a person that thought music was real sketchy at best in terms of security so i did well in high school so i went on to college and went to the university of michigan and i did well in college and then by the time i graduated in 91 I don't know, I still had really long hair at the time. None of the companies recruiting really wanted that sort of thing. So and dad offered me a position and it allowed me to stay with my brother in the band and stuff. So I said, all right, you know, so I do remember my dad complaining along the way somewhere like, hey, I've got this business that I want to last generations and and no one's going into it. At that point, no one. My Kim was going in nursing. My other brother, Rick, was going into computer science. And my oldest brother was here working, but he really didn't want a position of responsibility. So as far as running the company, he had no interest in that. And frankly, when I started working here, I didn't really necessarily have that in mind. I just, all right. So I started, actually was 30 years here at the end of April that I've been working here full time. And, you know, I just started working in sales and you know, I don't know, slowly, but surely you get experience. And the funny thing is, I don't remember ever coming here thinking I wanted to run the place. But now that you look back at it, when Jay passed away in January of 98, Kim and her husband, Mark, and I were, we were kind of the leaders at that time. And my dad pulled away a little bit. He's never really liked operations that much anyway. Not like he doesn't like it, but that's not what he likes to do. And so a short seven years later, we were running the company, which is kind of a kind of amazing, really, as a 28-year-old or 29-year-old. So I always tell people, it seems like a lot of times people are really impatient and they want to be the, you know, they think they want all this. And I'm just, just relax. You know, you'd be surprised how, how fast it happens, you know, just do well and take on responsibility and make things happen. And, and that sort of leadership stuff's just going to come your way. Well, that's really great advice. And so what does it mean for both of you guys to lead a company that has such historic ties to the area? And then do you guys also mind telling the audience when Glass Tender was also founded too? Well, we were founded in 1969 when my dad invented the world's first rotary glass washer. That was the beginning of the company. And um, I mean, we're very proud to be a member of this community and we feel a sense of responsibility to, to give back to our community and we try to support our community in many ways. So, I mean, it's just, you know, we feel good about it. It's a, it's a positive thing for us. Yeah. I mean, in general, you know, when you run a family business and you feel very responsible for all your employees and, you know, we have a lot of employees and their families that all depend on us. So there's a certain amount of pressure as well as the pressure to make it survive even for your own family. Like you you don't want to be the generation that drove the business into the ground, that's for sure. But we do take our community involvement seriously. I know Kim's involved with the community and so am I. And, you know, I serve on volunteer boards and I've been on different boards and so is Kim and but also we do support a lot of groups. There's a lot of need in the area. So we support, you know, cultural things and things that help children and things that help people's basic needs and stuff like that. I think there's about 150 different organizations that we support financially every year too. So, Is there a current volunteer organization that you guys are currently involved with that you guys want to give a shout out or something that you guys think that within the community should get some more attention that maybe doesn't right now? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, we're involved with Junior Achievement, the Can Council, Boys and Girls Club. Oh my gosh, there's just so many that we either donate money to or serve on the board. I am just finished my chair position on the foundation board at SBSU. I serve on the Conscious Capitalism Board with Gene Pickleman from TriStar and my church finance committee and yeah, there's just so many organizations. Todd's been 
on the board of the Japanese Tea House for many, many years. We all teach junior achievement as well as financially support junior achievement. So there's just so many. Todd, any that you want to call out specifically? I, you know, there's just so many. It's like impossible. Like I said, I, I, I'm not lying. It's at least 125, 150 different organizations that we support. And to me, so like I know, like the city rescue mission is pretty near and dear to my heart too. So Salvation Army, <laughs> yeah, the Good Samaritan over in Bay City. I mean, there's just so many. It's it's a lot. The Japanese Cultural Center has obviously been near and dear to my heart too. And Child and Family Services. And we have, you know, our members of our executive team, many of them serve in board positions as well. So yeah, a lot of great organizations in our community that do wonderful things for the people here. How did Glass Tender become such an industry giant within the kitchen and bar industry? Was it partially because your father, John, was such a early pioneer within that type of technology? Did he have some type of technology that was more superior than others that were on the market at that time? The funny thing is, I mean, I sometimes feel like we're pretty big in the industry, and then I sometimes feel like we're not. Although, realistically, if you look at NAFM, which is the National North American Association of Food Equipment Manufacturers, you know, we are a bit above what they would call the average size company. So, yeah, so I think we are certainly a bigger player, but there's been so much consolidation out. There's really huge players. But to get to the heart of your question, I really think it's been a matter of kind of just fortitude, you know, really. I think my dad started out with a great idea with the glass washer. And I think after that, it was really more a matter of listening to customers and just saying yes and just trying to do, you know, he's always he's always had a really strong foundation in his values. And even though he might not have necessarily articulated them and put them in a plaque on the wall, anybody that was around him, and certainly in the early days, it was easy because he was there and in the plant and everybody experienced the whirlwind of my dad, I guess you'd say. And I think we just slowly expanded the product line until we supplied everything heavy equipment wise for the bar. And, and now we're getting more into the kitchen fabrication side of it too. So, so yeah, I think that if you found a company in good solid values where you deeply care about the customer and you want to do what's right by the customer, you get rewarded for that hard work. And, and I think that's really been, been it. I mean, it hasn't been an overnight success. I mean, it started in 69. We worked hard for a long time. I mean, I know when I started here full-time in 1990, there was, you know, like 28 employees in 1991 when I started. So, I mean, it, you know, we grew a lot in the 90s and grew more in the aughts. I mean, it's, it's a 50-year overnight success, you know. I think it's on our history wall, but, you know, my dad founded Glass Hender in 1969, but he took his first paycheck from Glass Hender in 1986. So, August of 86. So, he was straddling my both worlds of my grandfather's company and glass tender and trying to build it. But, you know, it was a pretty scary time for him to finally decide to leave equipment distributing my grandfather's company and, and go with glass tender full time. So he worked a lot of hours to get there. So a lot of times people think it's an overnight success. Most businesses, I don't think just grow exponentially right from the get go and, and do that. But of course, of course. And so, Kim, a question for you. And so I mentioned this in the introduction, but how on earth did you pivot from the career in nursing to going back into the family business? Because when I was preparing for this interview, I talked with a mutual friend, Debbie Bergulio, and she mentioned that you were in nursing at that point into your career, maybe 10, 12, or maybe even yeah, 10 or 12 years at that point. And so that must be one heck of a pivot to pivot from healthcare to going into the kind of glass beverage and kitchen industry. 
you know, as I said, when I originally did it, I was working in management in nursing. I worked for a large home health care chain. So I've been working in management. And I know that I used to tell my dad, dad, you should be doing this with your employees. You should be doing that. We'd have these little conversations because at the time, Last Hunter was still very much a mom and pop type place. And when I say mom and pop, I mean loosely structured, you know, not really formal in their policies and procedures. And, you know, I think externally we had a, you know, great products and we looked great, but internally we were still loosely run. So a lot of the conversation started that way. And then again, I was only going to come temporarily. I was just coming to help out while Jay was sick and we didn't have a human resources person at the time. The way they hired is they called one of the staffing agencies and they said, oh, we need an assembler. And they would send someone. And after 90 days, they'd get hired in. No real evaluation or anything. <laughs> so I just created this huge list of what needed to get done. And it was it's 25 years later, I'm still working on the list. So, And as I said earlier, I think there's definitely some overlap. I think the thing that I bring to human resources here at Glastender is the holistic view of people. I don't look at employees as just an employee that comes here and builds our equipment. I know that there's more to a human being than that. And you have to care for the whole person. And so we try to you know, think about our employees holistically and think about the fact that they have stressors outside of work. They have families, they have other obligations, and we don't want to be a source of stress for them. We want to be a place where they can come and enjoy being here and go home at the end of the day, feeling good about their contributions to glass tender and have the energy to enjoy their family as well. So like I said, it wasn't really a planned thing. So it just happened. (laughs) Of course. And so over that whole time, what would you say has been your biggest or most proud accomplishment with Glastender? I think building an incredibly strong culture and, you know, having reached the point where like a metric that to me says it all is our turnover. Our turnover, you know, stayed from like four to 7%, which is an incredibly low turnover rate for manufacturing, which is usually in the double digits. And I think that speaks to the culture that we've created here. Obviously, last year, notwithstanding, because of it being a COVID year, and we had to lay some people off, and it was very painful to do that. We lost really great employees that we did not want to lose, but we delayed that for many months. That decision wasn't made until August of last year. So we we struggled through keeping everybody as long as we could. But as I said, that's probably the thing I'm most proud of. Of course. And so while doing research for this podcast as well, I came across an article which listed off one business decision that didn't go right for you guys, which was to explore an opportunity in an international market. And I kind of want to ask you guys, was it something about the international market that maybe the market dynamics weren't there or why didn't it turn out successfully for you guys? Well, I mean, we've We've explored the international market in different ways. So basically, I've had a distributor in India since since around 1998 or so, and he has done pretty well. And then you know things have ebbed and flowed there with based on their economy. But what happened is like in 2006, you know, I went to the Food Hotel Asia show in Singapore, and I recognized what to me looks like a real void as far as a dominant bar equipment manufacturer there. There's some refrigeration items, but not the stainless steel fabrication. 
And so we want to explore that more. We also were looking at, you know, I had traveled to Dubai and gone to some shows there. And I think we wanted to get more into it. And, and I think the, the mistake thing that we were talking about was basically we decided to pursue it by hiring a kind of a factory salesperson that would just be located remotely. And I think ultimately it probably just comes down to not putting enough good forethought into that arrangement, as well as having never had, a, we hadn't had a remote salesperson before. So we just didn't really have good I don't, want, I don't know if controls are the right word, but procedures and controls and things in place. And then the person just didn't end up being the right fit for us either. So I, I think in terms of, of that, I think really ultimately it just came down to, you know, when you're going to explore something, you need to be really thorough in your research and do a lot of upfront work in order to make it successful. And I think the reason we didn't do it at the time is it seemed like it was a simple, easy idea. Oh, we'll just do this and see what happens. And you know, we'll only have to sell this much extra to justify it and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it just didn't work out that way. We didn't understand that market as well as we should have. And like I said, a lot more research. So that that's the lesson learned. Research, 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 research. You know? Of course. Thank you guys for touching on that. And so switching now a little bit to money, what was your guys' first memory about money? Honestly, growing up, it's not like I thought that we, I never really thought much about money, but I think my earliest memory of money is my dad telling my mom not to cash the paycheck because there wasn't enough money to do that. And once the employees cash theirs, there wouldn't be enough for hers and she'd have to wait for a little bit. I think that was the first time that I ever actually became conscious of the fact that mom and dad were living pretty paycheck to paycheck and that it wasn't always easy to support a family. And, you know, you started realizing, no wonder why dad works 18 hour days and but that's my first memory of money. And that, you know, we were expected to kind of make our own. I mean, I started babysitting when I was 12. And so I haven't maybe even a little bit younger because we had somebody right next door. So they always knew my mom was close by, but I started working every summer from the time I was 12. I've never not worked. (laughs) Yeah, I was the same way. I mean, I would say a lot of the same things that Kim did. And which I said, it feels so weird and different for me now. Like I remember getting a paper route when I was, I was 12 also when I got a paper route. And, you know, I think back on it now, cause you know, we're so scared to even let our kids play in the front yard if you're not out there. And, and I think I was a 12 year old kid that would get up at six o'clock or so in the morning and drive down to the corner to grab the bundles and sit there all by myself, folding up papers and whatnot. Have you, I could have been abducted thousands of times over, you know, but it was not even a, a thought back then. And the funny thing is as a 12 year old, like I was completely like the Saginaw news. I'm not saying they were jerks or anything, but boy, when your when your invoice was due for your papers, they didn't care if you hadn't collected enough, they wanted their money. And so it was interesting to be a 12 year old and be in the position where, look, this is my gross receipts. This is how much I owe to the Saginaw news and what's left over is mine. And, and I remember like my brother, Rick, he had a paper out too. And I was fortunate. I really didn't have too many people that would stiff me, but I remember Rick's, his, his was in a different neighborhood than mine. And he had some people that, you know, like he'd knock on the door and they just wouldn't, he could tell they were inside, but they wouldn't answer the door and stuff like that. And I'm sure everybody has their own struggles. Maybe they couldn't afford it, but 
But when you stiff the paper boy, like you're literally stiff in the paper boy, you're not stiff in Saginaw News, you know? So those are some of the things that I remember. And so I just, you know, for me, I think it was a matter of our mom and dad gave us a really good background in that like money is not everything. My mom and dad aren't materialistic people. And I think they bred that into us. We're just not really that way. Not that we don't have anything and we don't have anything nice, but it's not like a driving force for any of us. And then I also think that they really gave us a very strong sense of, hey, money doesn't grow on trees. If you want some, you have to work hard for it and earn it. So kind of switching over more to personal finance, what would you guys say has been your biggest personal finance lesson? I don't know if you mean like, because I made a mistake and learned it that way or whatnot. But I do remember when my husband and I first got married or we were getting married, I do remember my dad, you know, talking to us about not allowing yourself to get into credit card debt. So this was when my husband and I got married in 92. And I remember around the time that we got married, I think I got a credit card and it was up to like $2,000. And that was, of course, a, to me at the time, just a scary amount. But my dad just, thankfully, we we listened to him and we were sensitive, you know, sensitive to finances. And that was the first thing we did. We got our wedding. We got, you know, quite a bit of people that had given us gifts of money. And I remember we paid our credit card off. And to this day, if my father always said, if you cannot pay cash for something, then you don't need it, you know? And if you can't pay your credit card bill off in its entirety, when it comes, then you're overspending. So I just was very sensitive and just have never allowed ourselves to get in credit card debt. Easier said than done, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I was kind of the same way. I don't know why. Like I've just always been a saver. Like I mentioned that I had my paper out and I specifically remember when I had my paper out, my overall income was about $80 or so a month. Sometimes maybe if it was a five-week month, it'd get up more to closer to $120. But I specifically remember giving myself an allowance of $10 a week that I would go spend at Dawn Donuts or at 7-Eleven. We had a 7-Eleven real close to our house and we'd pedal over there and get candy bars back when they were 35 cents each and stuff. That's how old I am. Right. You know, so I don't know. I've just always been a saver. I think that, and then even when I got out of college, you know, part of my job offer was room and board with mom and dad. And I took full advantage of that. I mean, I, well, actually they ended up buying a bigger house when I was 23. So I finally had my own bedroom and whatnot have you. So I took full advantage. But the thing is, to me, when I say I took full advantage, what I did is I used the opportunity to save a lot of money. Oh, of course, you want to be smart about it. And so, Todd, a specific question for you. So first off, congrats on your most recent studio album. I imagine you're probably doing a lot of interviews lately on Sonic Healing. It sounds like music has been a big part of your life. Do you mind talking a little bit on how it's changed your own thoughts on life and business? Well, I mean, I made reference to it earlier, you know, I was really into music. My older brother, John, was really into it. So I started out in bands when I was 15 years old and I was really serious about it for a while. And then, but I knew, I knew that I wanted something to fall back on, you know? And so that's why I got my degree while I could. And, you know, I reached a point where in the nineties, where I was kind of done with performing and everything, I really thought it was over. And then I started back up around 2004. And that was after I'd really established myself at glass tender and had my career kind of going. And, and I reached the point where then later on in life, I got these opportunities, you know, to start playing. Now I played my first show in Germany in 2008 and, and then it just kind of built from there. And then in 2013, when I got in riot, I mean, since then I've played, I don't know, well over a hundred shows in various parts of the world. 
And so it's not something that I do a lot when things are not COVID. You know, we were about six to eight weeks a year. Maybe we play shows and travel. And I would say that everybody has their own path. And I think for me, what I found is that by investing a lot in my career and in the family business, it just gave me the freedom to be able to pursue my passions. And, and I think I think it's really important to have passions and other things that help fuel your spirit. And I think for some people, those passions are work. And I love the work that we do. And I love glass tender too, but it's not singing, you know, which is something I love to do. And I feel like in, now I'm in the best of both worlds because trying to make a living in music is really, really tough, especially nowadays. So now it's like I can make my decent living at glass tender and then pursue my passions with uh, music. And if I want to invest a little extra in it, like a hobby and not have to worry about getting my money back, you know, that's cool too. You know, so I think that's, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's a lesson there because like I said, everybody's got their own path. But I think the thing is, and I try to impress on my kids too, like, look, there's things that you love to do, but trying to make a career out of those things is not always easy and it's not always lucrative. So, you know, it helps to find something that you can enjoy and be passionate about that pays you. And then you can always try to pursue other things outside of work as well. I think something, and correct me if I'm wrong, that I get out of it, but having those outside passions for you kind of help level balance your own career. And so maybe you're not as stressed or as over-focused on work, but you're able to kind of pursue some of these other outside passions. You know, for some people, maybe it's, you know, training for a marathon. For other people, maybe, you know, it's doing X, Y, or Z. But for you, it's music, singing, and be able to be passionate about has definitely probably helped level out a lot of potential stressors within your own life. I think if nothing else, I mean, it just forces you to to make space for it. You know, the plate's only so big. I mean, you can try to give up more sleep if you want, you know, but that doesn't usually go well. So, you know, you need your good six, seven hours of sleep at night. And if you're going to do other things, then you're just going to have to leave work, you know? And so it just depends. I mean, you know, some people, they want to work 80 hours a week. I mean, and if that works for you and you're enjoying it, go ahead. You know, I think for me, I just... I try to be a little more balanced and pursue some other things too. So I'm not always here, you know? Well, fantastic. And so for those people who want to learn more about either of you two or Glass Thunder, what are some good resources for them? Probably the book that we just finished on my dad, Rebel Without Applause. Dr. Don Steele helped us with writing that book and we released it last year. It was a little bit delayed because of COVID as well, but we managed to get it out in time for his 80th birthday. So that's a good recap of my father's life and our business. Yeah, that's a good one. Obviously, you know, Glass Tender, you can see our webpage. I mean, most people, especially in this area, don't really know who we are. Most people in general don't know who we are because we're in the commercial bar equipment industry. So unless you're buying bar equipment, you probably don't know who we are, really. We don't even sell direct to end users. So a lot of times the end users don't necessarily know who we are and that might sound silly but uh, unless you're another family business because yeah. we've been members of the Saginaw Stevens Center for Family Business over at Saginaw Valley and so that's been very nice because we've gotten to know a lot of other family businesses pretty well but beyond other family businesses yeah we're probably not well known <laughs> yeah obviously there's social media stuff you know I'm on social media. I, I know Kim's on Facebook, but she's not exactly promoting herself on Facebook like I do. We're of that generation where the social media is a little more odd for us. I'm not a big 
I participate in it because of music and I want to try and promote my music, but I'm not a big oversharer and I'm very outgoing. And, but I just, there's this weird part of me where I don't think that like what I had for breakfast that day is of any interest to anyone. So I don't post it, you know, but some people do. So, and, and not that I have a problem with it. I'm just saying that for me personally, it's hard to overshare, but certainly if you want to know anything about my music, you can find me on social media and on my webpage and stuff like that too. So, Well, perfect. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Mid Money. We love all the feedback that we receive, so please let us know if you have any. Additionally, please follow our podcast so you don't miss when new episodes drop. Thanks, Kim. Thanks, Todd. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Mitten Money, sponsored by TriStar Trust. Subscribe to the podcast and learn more about how William and the TriStar Trust team can guide your small business at TriStarTrust.com. <laughs>